Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Hey everyone, a quick note before we start. This episode contains discussions and stories about severe mental health conditions and suicide. Please use discretion when listening. And if you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, you can visit mentalhealth.gov for information and resources. Standing at the top of the track before a race, Olympic bobsledder Christina Smith always asked herself one question. I'd always say, okay, why are you afraid? It was her way of getting focused, of meeting any potential hesitation head on. You're afraid because maybe this is your first run or you're afraid because, you know, like I'd I'd go through those scenarios with myself and then it's like, okay. So really you just have to step into fear and do it. Because on a bobsled run, if you give fear an inch, it'll take a mile. If you hesitate on a turn, or you jump into the sled just a little too late, well, you're shooting down a mountain in a 1,300-pound tube at over 80 miles an hour. So, good luck. You cannot avoid the fact that it is darn fast. It's frickin' fast, if I can say it that way. Of course, putting your body through that kind of experience is in service of the ultimate goal. Winning gold. But it's about more than winning. Elite athletes talk about that euphoric, almost meditative feeling of performing at near perfection. When your mind lets go, your body takes over, and you are completely in the zone. When you're so in the zone, it slows down. And to the point that it's just, I look at it as, you know, poetry in motion. I look at it as in a beautiful um, orchestral. When you are in that Zen moment, it's very much like classical music because it's just a flow and you become part of your sled versus separated from it. And your breath is in tune. It's really, it's harmonious. Sometimes though, your body betrays you or external forces disrupt that state. And so when I feel that disconnect that happens, that's where the Zen is no longer Zen and it's survival. Survival is no exaggeration. Bobsledding and other sliding sports like skeleton and luge are some of the most dangerous competitive sports there are. Bobsledders scream down icy tracks at speeds up to 80 miles per hour. And anyone who's ever ice skated knows that sliding over ice is not exactly smooth, it's bumpy. And those little bumps you feel skating on a rink, imagine that, but rattling through your whole body, really, 
really fast. Intense vibrations, your head bobbing around in your helmet as you slide over those bumps. The sheer pressure of almost 5G forces pushing your head down between your knees. It can lead to serious issues. The micro vibrations and micro concussions that I, you know, was experiencing going down those, you know, violent runs, I mean, those accumulate over time. Over the years, Christina started experiencing mental fogginess, bad migraine headaches, depression, anxiety, what she calls a lack of lust to go do more runs. And of course, the impulse for an athlete like Christina is to push through those symptoms, to have stamina in the face of fear. But as the years went on, Christina started to notice a tragic trend in the bobsledding community. Now to some sad news overnight, the death of American Olympic champion Stephen Holcomb. And silver medalist Bill Schufenhauer, who attempted suicide back in 2016. The gold medal bobsledder's body was discovered on Saturday at the Olympic training facility in Lake Placid, New York. Former U.S. Olympic bobsledder Pavli Jovanovich has died. Since 2013, there have been at least four suicides in the Olympic bobsledding world. To put that number into context, you need to understand what a niche sport bobsledding is. There are only about 770 elite-level bobsledding athletes worldwide. Compare that to, say, track and field. There are over 130,000 members of the USA Track and Field Association, and that's just in America. So four deaths over the span of a few years in a sport where everyone knows everyone else, often by name, that's earth-shattering. All of this has been incredibly devastating and scary for the bobsledding community and for Christina herself. When she heard about these suicides, Christina recognized some of the same mental and physical symptoms that she'd been dealing with. She was afraid for her future, for the future of the sport that she loved, and for the first time when she asked herself that routine question at the top of the track, why am I afraid? She couldn't talk herself through the fear. Instead, new questions would ring through her head. We have to know, why did this happen? I mean, how many more do we need? I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and what the greatest athletes would lose to win. This season is about controversies and scandals on the biggest world stage, the Olympics. Most people like a good shot of adrenaline now and then. Roller coasters, bungee jumping, poker games. And sliding athletes take that hair-raising tendency to the extreme. But is it possible to be safe and satiate this drive for adrenaline, competition, and speed? The sport of bobsledding, or bobsleigh if you're in Canada, actually started as a way for average people to satiate that innate urge to recreationally give themselves a dangerous little thrill. In Switzerland, the owners of a hotel on the slopes of St. Moritz turned a fleet of their delivery sleds and toboggans into racing vehicles. It was a ploy to appeal to tourists, and it worked. Tourists flocked to the Alps to race sleds at breakneck speeds. Remember, this was before cars, so the thrill of speeding down a mountain in a sled was unlike anything most people had experienced before. 
Fast forward about 100 years to the late 1980s. Bobsledding had morphed from an adrenaline-pumping tourist pastime into an Olympic sport. That's when Christina encountered it for the first time. It was a very, uh, say, untraditional way of recruiting athletes. At the time, she was a ski instructor at Canada Olympic Park, where the Canadian bobsledding team was training for the 1988 Winter Olympics. They opened up an opportunity for the ski instructors to take a ride and to essentially be a guinea pig. Not everyone would jump at the chance to be a, quote, guinea pig on an icy bobsled track. But Christina was different. She had winter sports in her blood. Skiing was the family sport. I was two years old when I was introduced. Christina's great-grandfather emigrated from Switzerland to Canada, where he started a ski school in the mountains of Quebec. Her parents even met on a ski slope. Plus, Christina's early introduction to winter sports meshed perfectly with a natural sense of self-reliance and risk tolerance. Pretty much, I was a tomboy, and nothing could hold me down. And my dad would say, no matter if somebody would try to help me, I'd say, you know, I can do it, I can do it, let me do it myself. So there was always this desire to, if, especially if somebody said, you know, you shouldn't do that, well, I'd do the opposite. But even for her, that first bobsledding run at the Canada Olympic Park was pretty intense. It was like, you know, going bungee jumping, you do it once and you never do it again. Of course, that was only the beginning. I was in university and there was a guy that was walking around with a helmet, you know, for a motorcycle and a pair of tights. And I thought that, well, that was kind of bizarre because it was in the middle of winter. We got talking and next thing he was telling me about this crazy sport of, you know, adrenaline and ice burns and concussions and crashes and speeds of crazy 140 kilometers an hour. And lo and behold, he was trying to recruit me to bobsleigh. All of that sounded pretty familiar to Christina. But what the motorcycle guy said next stopped her in her tracks. And then all of a sudden he said, you know, you got a great set of legs. They're looking for women. And I thought it was like he was asking me to be an astronaut, to be honest. That tights-wearing motorcycle man turned out to be a spot-on bobsleigh recruiter. But at first, being a sledder kind of was like being an astronaut. She'd be one of the first women to plant a flag on the metaphorical bobsleigh moon. Because at the time when Christina started sledding, in the early 90s, Bobsledding was still a men's-only Olympic competition. I went on to try it out and realized that there was, you know, this real push to get women at an Olympic Games. It turned out that there was a movement going on to introduce women's bobsledding to the Olympics within the next 10 years by the 2002 Olympic Games in Salt Lake City. With Olympic dreams on the horizon, Christina got to work. I was trained on how to push the sled, put on the track and, you know, given a helmet and some ice spikes. And they basically said, you know, push the sled, let the driver get in, you jump in the back and hold on. On her first run, Christina was in the brake man position. That's the person at the back of the sled who's responsible for stopping the sled once you reach the end of the run. The run started out smooth, but soon gravity took over by corner four. My head was impaled between my legs and by the end of it, I didn't even realize I had to put the brakes on. 
until I heard this screaming and this wailing on my helmet. And then I put the brakes on and got to the bottom, exhausted. Christina's teammate, who had been piloting the sled, turned around and said something that made her cringe. Let's get back to the top and do it again. That was it, the make or break moment. Christina had to consider her options. That's when I had to tell myself, you know, why am I doing this? And do I really want to subject my body to this? And uh, I knew that I'd be a pioneer for women. And that really inspired me to continue and uh, just really encourage other women to do the same. The only thing that would have kept me back potentially would have been myself, which would essentially be fear. Christina didn't let her fear stop her. But one day, that fearlessness would cost her. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It won't come as a surprise that when Christina started her sledding career in the late 80s, there was no money in women's bobsleigh. She had to practice on her own time and find her own sponsors. And that meant she had to work really hard. Christina says that she headed to the track around five or six times a week, usually doing at least two runs each time. That's something like 300 grueling runs a year. At first, she crashed pretty often. As she improved, she crashed less. But there was still regular wear and tear. Head knocks, her head whipping back and forth, micro-vibrations... Microvibrations are usually associated with astronauts taking off in a spacecraft. They're continuous, low-level vibrations that come from the hyper-fast movement of a rocket hurtling through space, or in this case, a bobsled zooming down a track. Christina struggled with headaches and a scrambled lack of focus. Even when she almost crashed, there were repercussions. I almost crashed, but I had hit my head. I remember hitting it but then recovering (laughs) out of the turn. And I remember this kind of a a bell go off, but it was just fast. And it was basically as quick as it happened, it was gone. And I finished the run and I never thought of it again, to be honest, because I was just happy I had not crashed. And if you did happen to crash, the focus was more on making sure your $50,000 sled was okay. Not so much if you were okay. If you were to have crashed, somebody would say, you know, you're okay. And then they'd say, how's your sled? And it was all about the sled. You know, is it safe to go down again? And then you just go up to the top and you do it again. Christina followed the common advice, grit and bear it. You would just push yourself through it. The lucky ones, if anything, are the ones that crash closer to the bottom because they don't have far to go, you know. One thing that made her commitment to the physical demands and the intense training regimen easier, she relied on her tight-knit bobsledding community for input, feedback, and support. The sport was pretty niche, and they were a close bunch. And the prevailing wisdom was to do what Christina did. 
She went back up to the top of the run and she did it again and again and again until... Christina made the very first women's Olympic bobsledding team. Ladies and gentlemen, the athletes of the 19th Olympic Winter Games. Along with her teammate, Paula McKenzie, Christina finished ninth out of 15 competing nations. She was proud. The country was proud. Really, you, you've earned so much at that moment in your life. Whether you experience uh, a medal or not, you know, once an Olympian, always an Olympian, and never a former Olympian. And it's one of those things that you cherish. And, and that's why I, I really cherish looking back and, and reminding myself where I've come from. The feeling of support from her country, from her bobsledding community, it was emotional for Christina. It lifted her up. So, soon after the 2002 Games, when tragedy struck her corner of the sliding sports world, it was impossible to ignore. It was such a new thing, and there was such a big stigma, but it was more so people just didn't know what they didn't know. In 2003, a 75-year-old former bobsledder named Eugenio Monti was found dead at his home in Italy. He killed himself with a single shot to the head. Then a year later, Christina's friend, Yvonne Cernoda, a German champion, died in a training run at the age of 25. All the while, Christina was still dealing with those symptoms she mentioned earlier, like scrambled thoughts and mental fogginess. After the 2002 Olympics, Christina trained at the elite level for two more years, before officially retiring in 2004. As she moved toward retirement, her symptoms started getting worse. I remember at the latter end of my career, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear that I never had before. And that was really, that threw me for a loop. Anxiety, the opposite of her trademark ability to manage her fear. I was a driven individual and I was just so committed and I had such conviction. There was so much that I had and all of a sudden it was like it wasn't there anymore and that just was very deflating and discouraging and as well just the forgetfulness and 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 all those symptoms that were really just chipping away this strong exterior. She was frustrated by problems with her memory that she never experienced before. I couldn't remember things I had done in the morning, by the afternoon or evening or the next day. And somebody would have to, you know, kind of trigger it. So it'd be like, yeah, we went to the movies. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. And next thing you know, everything's connecting. And so it was almost as if there was a, a lag or a pause within my neural wiring, within my brain. She'd do things like introduce herself at an event, go around the room, and then start reintroducing herself to someone she'd already met. It dealt a huge blow to her confidence. She didn't understand why this was happening. So like a lot of women who experience quote-unquote mysterious medical issues, she ended up laying the blame on herself. It became very, very hard to not blame it on myself because I just thought I could snap out of anything. I, you know, when I was 
at the top of my game and actually even my whole career, I, that was something I took pride of is the ability to get back in the saddle and do it again and, and just over and over. At first, Christina thought her symptoms might be related to her 2004 retirement. Lots of Olympic athletes experience mental health issues after they retire. You know, being out of the limelight, losing your, you know, your fame and and whatever people associate with being an Olympian. Generally speaking, people would get over that. But it seemed like this just kept going. But this seemed like more than just post-retirement blues, especially when she heard the news that yet another retired sledder had taken their own life. There was a suicide that occurred on the Canadian team uh, alumni. And I, at the time, thought, oh my goodness, uh, after finding out that he had had several symptoms that I had had. Christina's talking about Adam Wood. Adam was a contemporary of Christina's, a sledding star in the 90s and early 2000s. He retired in 2007. Adam was known as a reflective and caring person. But near the end of his life, his mood began to change. He started to do things that were reckless and out of character. It was reported in the New York Times that he began verbally abusing his wife, Arista, and driving around with a noose in his car. By 2013, Adam's condition had become so serious that he attempted to kill himself with an overdose of painkillers and psychotropic medications. Adam called Arista from a mental health unit in Calgary after the incident, they recorded the call. You had told me that for yeah. some reason when I met you, you said, I don't have much time. I'm not going to live very long. For some reason, you told me that. Yeah, so winter 2007-2008, escalating issues mentally. Building PVC travel rollers at home, no fresh air intake on home firmness, very insane. Uh, escalating issues in summer 2008, lawyers, gym, rollers, cutter, no sleeping. That's Adam and Arista discussing his mental health crisis during his stay in Calgary. A few days after that call was recorded, Adam called Arista again, this time to say he was in Fish Creek Park. Arista told him that he could get the help he needed, but later that day, Adam hung himself. But Adam and Arista had created a record of his illness by recording their earlier conversation. Talking about Adam's symptoms, the head injuries he could remember and the lack of treatment he received during his career. Why did they have the presence of mind to record this call in the middle of Adam's tragic spiral? Because by this time in 2013, degenerative brain injuries in sport had become a big topic of conversation in another, more high-profile corner of the athletic world, the NFL. Tonight on Frontline, the epic story of football's concussion crisis. This is a clip from an hour-long Frontline special the League of Denial, the NFL's concussion crisis. It came out the same year that Adam had his mental health crisis. Obviously, CTE was beginning to take center stage in more than one sport. With this new attention focused on brain injury and sports playing out in the media, the couple thought, just maybe, that's what Adam had been suffering from after his bobsleigh career. The crashes, the head rattling, the brain ringing runs, taken over and over again. Could those be doing the same thing to sliding sport athletes that they'd done to the football stars like Iron Mike Webster, who died suddenly of a heart attack at age 50 after battling dementia and depression? Justin Sterzelcheck, 
who drove head-on into a tank truck while driving 90 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Andre Waters, who died of a gunshot wound to the head, and Tom McHale, who died of an accidental overdose. CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, is the term used to describe brain degeneration caused by repeated head traumas. Like, say, repeatedly crashing into a bunch of 200-pound men every week for a decade or so. CTE shows up on brain scans in a few ways. Micro tears in the brain's white matter, or a buildup of a protein called tau that blocks certain neurological pathways and can lead to mood swings and impaired executive functions. Since 2002, the brains of 111 former and deceased NFL players have been examined at Boston University School of Medicine. Of those 111, 110 were shown to have CTE. As the years went on and the NFL and other sports organizations started to take CTE more seriously, chatter bubbled up in Christina's bobsledding world too. Lo and behold, I get invited to an event for brain injuries. And it was at that event that I met a doctor, Dr. Tracy Thompson. She addressed everybody by saying, you may not know it, but you may have a brain injury. And these are the symptoms that you could be experiencing. And I was checking off all the boxes. Those were symptoms like memory loss, fearfulness, depression, and mood swings. Everything that had been throwing Christina for a loop since her retirement in 2004 making her feel like a lesser version of herself. I went on to approach her and say, you know, you spoke about a brain map and it was a QEEG, which is a quantitative electroencephalogram. And I thought that would be the start of finding out potentially what was up with me. It seemed like Christina might finally be able to find an answer to her question. Why are you afraid? I discovered that I had had uh, brain injuries and that the symptoms were pertaining to the areas in my brain that were affected. In 2013, Christina had a QEEG done. The scans of her brain revealed that her rear and frontal lobes had been damaged, likely the result of micro tears in her brain's white matter. That's the part of the brain responsible for memory, emotional regulation, and concentration. The inability to remember faces, the fogginess, the depression and anxiety. It was all laid out, plain to see, on Christina's brain scan. And all I could think of is, how many more people are walking around with this? Now Christina could name her fear. She had a brain injury. So she started getting treatments like biofeedback. A doctor hooked her up to electric sensors and helped her practice relaxation exercises to control the brain waves that activated when she had symptoms. But even though she knew that her brain was hurt and she was actively seeking treatment for her injuries, Christina was still sledding. After her 2004 retirement, she wanted to keep bobsledding in her life. The sport, the thrill of racing, and her bobsledding community, it still meant a lot to her. So she sled recreationally. Then in 2016, 12 years after her retirement, Christina received a scholarship from the IBSF the International Bobsleigh and Skeleton Federation, to get her master's degree in Russia. So she hopped back in her bobsled, only this time she had some idea of what she was risking. I probably shouldn't have been on the bobsleigh track after all the extensive treatment I had had. 
The years of dealing with mental fogginess and scrambled thoughts caught up with her. Christina crashed. It walloped the heck out of me. And um, my head was walloped a few times on the way down, despite the intense holding of myself, trying to keep myself in the sled. When she finally arrived at the bottom of the track, bruised and battered, but in one piece, she basically got a pat on the head and was sent on her way. So I went through this experience and then I went back to school after having a shot of vodka in a lint chocolate and sent back to class. <laughs> but the symptoms she experienced after the crash were some of the most harrowing she'd had so far. I went back to class and started to have numerous things happen to me. I was having anxiety, fear, depression, suicidal thoughts. I mean, it was horrid. I was blaming everything on myself, the inability to get out of bed in the morning, to just not having that desire to to make something out of my life. And that was so not me. It was only after she got home from Russia that Christina realized her brain injuries might be to blame for this newest symptom, her deep depression. But it took the boogeyman of the bobsledding world knocking on her door once again for her to finally see it. I still felt the same, even though I was finished my program, you know, got my master's. And soon after that, an American Olympian, uh, Steve Holcomb, actually committed suicide. I should say he was found dead in his training room with an overdose of sleeping pills and alcohol. Steve Holcomb was a giant in the bobsledding world. A three-time Olympic medalist, he won a gold medal in 2010. He was well-loved by his teammates for his drive, determination, and uncanny ability to swiftly guide his team down the track as a bobsled pilot. After he retired from bobsledding, Holcomb suffered from depression and sleep problems, and that led to issues with alcohol. More significantly, he actually told his friends that he was worried about the toll that 20 years of bobsledding might have taken on his brain. At this point, around 2016 and 2017, when Christina and Steve were both deep in the weeds of dealing with their symptoms, public understanding of CTE and traumatic brain injury in sport had come a long way. In fact, in 2016, the NFL had just, for the first time, acknowledged a link between football and CTE. And as it turns out, before he ended his life, Steve had been doing research on brain health, searching for answers he was tragically never able to find. Steve's story was a wake-up call for Christina. It actually woke me up again because it was like, oh my gosh, it must be from my head, you know? Christina was connecting the dots. The bad crash, her deep depression, maybe yet another brain injury was to blame. And so I went back and uh, to the doctor and said, can you check me out? And surely enough, I had again hurt my brain. This was a turning point for Christina. Like the decision she'd made all those years ago to get back in the bobsled and do the run again. Except this time she was older, retired from the sport, and dealing with a known damage to her brain. She decided that the bobsled run in Russia, when she crashed, would be her last. 
Instead of sledding herself, Christina would advocate for elite sliding athletes like her. She would never sled again, but she didn't want the sport she loved to just go away. Bobsledding was still personally important to her. Not to mention it's a beloved tradition going all the way back to the slopes of St. Moritz. And of course, it's many athletes' livelihoods. I really feel that this has really turned a point for me in my life. I really was struggling with that thought of keeping things to myself. And I really felt like it was my mission to really be vocal around it. So what could be done to keep athletes safe and still keep the sport of bobsledding alive? Now seems like a good time to point out that the symptoms Christina experienced don't just affect bobsledders. They affect all kinds of sliding sports athletes. Sliding sports include bobsleigh, luge, and skeleton. Basically any sport where you're hurtling down an icy track at high speeds with your head rattling around in your helmet. And there's actually a name for the fogginess, the forgetfulness, what Christina called scrambled brains that sliding athletes feel after they've completed a harrowing run. Symptoms that can build over time into depression and suicidal thoughts. It's called sledhead. So sledhead, um, it's been some slang that's been used quite a bit. We're just really starting to understand it. That's Dr. Jessica Bartley. She's the director of mental health services at the USOPC and a clinical associate professor at the University of Denver. Even though concussions account for 13 to 18 percent of all injuries to elite-level sliding sport athletes, Jessica and her colleagues admit that there's still a lot to learn about sledhead, its consequences, and what sporting organizations can do to keep athletes in sliding sports safe while practicing the extreme sport they love. As recently as 2018, a report on sledhead in the journal Frontiers in Neurology found that While other winter sports such as ice hockey, skiing, snowboarding, and tobogganing have received ample attention in concussion research, sledding sports have received relatively little. But that's beginning to change. We're actually doing some research at the Lake Placid Training Center around sledhead. And what that is is what our heads go through when you're on those sled sports. And so you're looking at like bobsled and luge and skeleton and your head like knocks around in the helmets. We're engaged in some research specifically with some of those sports now to really understand, you know, does your head knocking around like that rise a level of concussion? What are the physical and the mental implications? Obviously, there's a lot of anecdotal information about sledhead. Stories like Christina's, like Adam Wood's, like Steve Holcomb's. But the term is relatively new, and even being able to talk about symptoms, like the ones that sledhead can cause, it's only just becoming less stigmatized. We're having the athletes wear these mouthpieces that actually measure what's going on in the helmets during the runs for bobsleds. The technology is catching up now to where they can simply wear a mouthpiece and it can measure the impact in the helmet, what's going on. Armed with that data, Jessica says it's possible to make sliding sports safer for sledders, to make decisions about training and equipment based on hard facts, rather than sticking to the age-old training script. I think just understanding, you know, 
Can we improve the equipment? How much is the head really shaking around when somebody is going on one of these runs? How do we train to where there is minimal kind of impacts? That might mean rethinking what it means to train on an ice track, finding an alternative to doing what Christina and those before and after her had always done, going up to the top and doing it again and again. I think that there has to be, first off, an awareness, as well as understanding that quality is better than quantity. So you can also visualize a run down a track. Solutions would be to diminish the amount of runs that an athlete takes, to diminish the amount of abuse the head takes. Some researchers have suggested adding shock absorbers to sleds to lessen the impact of microvibrations. There are even video devices now that Christina says can be used for virtual bobsled training. Of course, there's nothing that replaces the hands-on experience, but I do believe that visualization is so powerful. And so there's no excuses why you cannot modify things. Focus, look ahead, get in the zone. The same old mantra, but with a new, safer kind of futuristic twist. But Christina says that the real key to raising awareness around Sledhead and changing her sport for the better is connection. Tapping into that tight-knit community that lifted her up throughout her career. I definitely don't want to discourage people from sport, nor from my sport, but there are so many people around the world that do not know about one another that are doing work in this field. A lot of this, I think, is the ability to connect people with people. And that's why I really think that the solution is out there. Building on and potentially changing the culture of sliding sports from the inside. That's what's going to make the difference. Christina hopes that by talking about her struggles, being open, and sharing her experiences, she can help prevent some of the tragedies that have knocked the bobsleigh community to its knees in recent years. Tragedies like Adam Wood's suicide. Christina found out about Adam's death while she was undergoing brain injury treatment herself. She wondered if maybe she could have helped. I could have shared my experience with him, and maybe that could have saved a life, you know? And so I really was struggling with that thought of, you know, keeping things to myself, and I really need to break out of that and to start to share. And I thought that the more I could share through my journey, it could potentially educate the people around me. And at the same time, I was just discovering myself again. In recent years, Christina's made good on her mission to share her experiences with Sledhead. She's written a book, talked to the press, shared her story on podcasts like this one. It already seems like she might be changing things. Just the other day, there was a bobslayer that was on the national team previously who had contacted me and said, for years I've been struggling with all these symptoms. You know, I read the New York Times article and, and I got led to your movie documentary and he goes, oh my gosh, my life has absolutely made sense now of what I've been struggling with. And he goes, I am so grateful. And I said, hey, you know. 
I guess my superpower is vulnerability, <laughs> you know? Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Jenner Pasqua and Nikki Stein. It was written by Nikki Stein. Technical direction and engineering by Nick Dooley. Original music by James Lovino. Special thanks to Allison Cohen, Matt Eisenstadt, and Omar Tarbush. Next time on Torched, a Cold War-era fencing match erupts in scandal when Soviet athlete Boris Onoshenko gets caught cheating during his final chance to win gold. It wasn't just a spontaneous thing. This required engineering, ingenuity. It has a number of features which make it like a kind of spy story in a way. That's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening. More episodes of Torched are coming soon. If you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. See you next time. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big.